All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. This is the Plus Money Pod with yours truly, Plus Money. Here we are in my lovely studio, which isn't much of a studio, but here we are nonetheless to bring you the heat. We're going to recap the divisional round in the NFL. We've got a whole lot to get into since then. We're going to talk about the NBA a little bit. Um... NFL coaching carousel, new faces, new places, and we're also going to touch on the Aussie Open a little bit, as Yannick Sinner will face off against Medvedev in the final, and on the other side, in the WTA side, we got Sabalenka trying to get a Grand Slam, which she's more than likely going to. Um, But yeah, here we are. Thank you guys for joining, clicking, subscribing. I'm just kidding. I have zero fucking subscribers, but that's okay. We're going to grow this thing to the moon. Um, Hopefully, you guys just continue to enjoy the content. We can make money. It can provide a ton of insight. And as this studio does get better and the production and everything, um, you know, hopefully you guys can just leave a review at the end of these with the star and uh, write something sweet. It goes a long way. So I do appreciate it. Let's dive right in. Recap in the NFL. I know that's why most of you guys are here. We're going to go one through one by the wild card and just give a little brief synopsis on what happened. Um, You know, the Houston Texans played the Ravens twice this year. One time in week one and in the playoffs. They started their year and ended the year with the Ravens. And in those two games, the offense did not produce one touchdown versus Baltimore. Not one touchdown. That's pretty astonishing. They did get a punt return in this wild card game. And at halftime... You might have been thinking, holy shit, is C.J. Stroud and company about to do this? But on the other side of the football, they had an MVP caliber quarterback that's been there, done this, seen it before, and an unbelievable defense. And they came out in the second half to demolish the Texans 34 to 10 and the Baltimore Ravens are advancing to the AFC championship game. that's going to be held in Baltimore this weekend. Lamar Jackson, 16 for 22, two, two rushing touch, uh, two rushing touchdowns, two passing and a hundred yards on the ground. The total pushes at 44, unless you got 43 and a half, but the Texans this whole time were really shooting themselves in the foot false start after false start could not really just get going there the first half i tell you what it was just like i broke it down D'Amico ryan's came in there with an unbelievable game plan he was a great middle linebacker in his in his time this is the first scrambling quarterback he's seen lamar jackson was sacked three times in this game and they were going into halftime 10 to 10. Now, after that, is a whole different animal. Because the Ravens were able to make adjustments with the talent that they have and come out there with 24 unanswered points on the Texans' dome. So, I did get majority of this one wrong. And I got no shame in saying that. That first half there, hey, we were feeling pretty good about everything. Um, so the Ravens move on. And the Texans, they got to hang their head high. You know what I mean? They had a really good season. There's so much to build upon. You know, the Ravens might go on and win the Super Bowl. And they can say they started their season with the Super Bowl champs and they ended it with the Super Bowl champs. There's a lot to build on over there. 
So moving on, we're going to go over to the NFC to the other number one seed, the San Francisco 49ers and Brock Purdy escape versus Green Bay Packers, 28-21. The under comes home. Um, Man, where do we start with this one? Green Bay really left these guys off the hook. Much like the Ravens, the 49ers didn't play many of their starters week 18. And that two weeks off, yeah, you got a lot of rest, but it also piles up a lot of rust. And that's what the Niners look like, just like the Ravens in the first half. Green Bay really took it right down their throat. Aaron Jones ripping off big gashing runs, exposing the Niners' run defense. Jordan Love making pinpoint passes when he needed to. He didn't have his best game in this one. And on the other side of the ball, Debo goes down, who's a huge part of the San Francisco offense. And Purdy kind of figuring it out. Mike Shanahan kind of figuring it out in the first half. And, you know, San Fran was flustered. They were definitely on the ropes. And if it's not for the, the real MVP of that team, and I think of the league, to be honest, Christian McCaffrey, another 99 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, scampering them down there, getting them in the red zone yet again. Mike Shanahan at the half there, too, was a little bit conservative. I don't know if he doesn't trust his defense. I don't know if he thought Green Bay was just going to march down the field if they try to go for it on a fourth down or whatever the case may have been. But he played that very close to the vest, settled for a field goal, and Moody ends up getting that blocked. So the San Francisco defense that game kind of was, I don't know if it was rust and rest versus having some holes. They got all these names on the line and everything, but... Um, you can run right up the gut on them. Hardgraves, who came over from Philly. Armstead. So there's some question marks about San Fran, which we'll dive into a little bit later when we get into the wild card. Green Bay, 21 points. Five red zone trips. 21 total points. That can't happen. That's coaching. They did get that quarterback sneak. I thought they were very unfortunate with the spot. I don't know why LaFleur didn't challenge that one. I felt Jordan Love definitely got that first down. And the funniest thing about this game is that essentially it could have came down to a field goal. Carlson missing that kick. Big, big kick in that moment. Field position, momentum, points. And he was probably one of the worst kickers all season in the NFL. And that's on Matt LaFleur for not correcting that. You know, the next team that we're going to talk about, the Detroit Lions, they had a shitty kicker all year. And they had Money Badgley in the practice facility pushing him every single week. Eventually, they had a kickoff, and Badgley won the job. That's on Matt LaFleur for not addressing the kicking situation. You know, I got a cousin of mine that we laugh and joke, and he's kind of serious, but we laugh and joke. He says kicker, a kicker is the third most important position in football. <laughs> We're all like, come on, man, a kicker, a fucking kicker. But it, theoretically, every single playoffs, one team or more lo lose their season on a kicker. So Green Bay, a young team, they have a lot to build on. Matt LaFour saved his job this season. They got the quarterback of their future, Jordan Love. Um, Brock Purdy in this one, 23 for 39, 252. Not efficient. You know, there was pictures of him getting the ball, dropping back, wiping his hand as he was dropping back. That's not good, Brock, you know. There comes a blindside blitz just to wreck your shit. You drop the football. But some of those passes, he was just th th shutting his eyes, throwing it to the sidelines. The ball was just falling in the no man's land. Not even a defender or a player 10 yards, 10 yards by the ball. He was just chucking it up there. He did have that fourth quarter drive 
third and long where he did stand in the pocket, throw it right over the linebacker's head, dropped a dime in there. But even that one, I felt like it was a rushed pass. It was kind of like, oh, shit, I'm about to get rocked. Let me just throw it to a red jersey. I feel like, and hey, kudos to Jennings. He makes the catch, and that leads to a touchdown, ultimately to put the Niners up, if I'm not mistaken. And they're going to host the Lions in the NFC Championship game. So that's the next game that we're going to get to. This one, a special place in my heart. You know, Dan Campbell. He's the one that we don't deserve, but God knows he's the one we needed over here. The Lions win 31-23, cashing on the over. The atmosphere was electric. Ford Field literally blowing out the decimal system with the decibel system with the with the noise and the and the screaming and yelling. You know, this Detroit team is for real if you haven't realized it. And I've been preaching. I've been preaching on here. I'm not trying to. You know, I can take my bias out of it. I just see the game for what it is. They have talent. They have talent. It's the number two rated O-line in pro football focus. With the talent that they have at running back in an O-line like they do, they can create outside runs, inside runs, play action, screen game, you name it. The offense is really dynamic. Ben Johnson is probably the hottest coordinator in the NFL. And they really took it to the Bucks here. I felt like it could be, it could the score could have been even worse. At one point here, the Lions were up two scores. Baker just had to keep dropping back over and over. Um, there are some holes, there's some weaknesses. They're really a bend but don't break defense, which we'll get into a lot of those more X's and O's about them when we talk about San Fran because that's the next opponent. But between Gibbs and Montgomery. Gibbs was electric in this gun, 70-something yards on the ground, a touchdown. Montgomery had a touchdown vultured away by Craig Reynolds. Jared Goff, another great performance. I believe he didn't turn the ball over. And this team has just been executing all season. Does Baker deserve a extension another run at being a franchise quarterback i don't know i don't know like like what is going to change you know what i'm saying i would be a rough gm it would be hard to work under me i'm like no we've seen enough i don't care playoffs you got us there you won our division well i don't give a shit you're nope i've seen it you're gonna take us this this far you're never gonna take us over a notch i love his work ethic I love his demeanor. I love his uh I love his competitiveness. You know, but it's it's a hard league to win in. And that's why I want to really cherish these moments as a Lions fan. The atmosphere like I was talking about is nuts. You have to truly understand what we went through as a franchise. There was at one point, and I'm not ashamed to even say it, where I disowned these guys. I believe Stafford was still on the team. And I kind of looked at our schedule that one year and I knew that they were going to go like 0-5 to start 0-6. And, and that's exactly what happened. This was before Sheila Hamp came over, and Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes. But once that whole new regime came over, there was a huge shift in the way that they thought and did things as an organization because they did a lot of things wrong as an organization for so long. So these moments, you never know when you're going to be back in the NFL. You go from first to worst. You go from worst to first really quick in a blink of an eye. As soon as you pay your franchise rookie quarterback and give them $300 million, there goes all that money to build a team. So right now, the way that they got things structured, it's awesome. We're going to San Francisco. Be sure to wear a flower in your hair. If you're going to San Francisco, Kansas City Chiefs, 27, Buffalo Bills, 24, brutal. If I was to tell you 
Josh Allen had no turnovers, rushed for 75 yards, and the team in general had 182 yards rushing on the ground. You would think that the Buffalo Bills won at home 30-7. to But they didn't. But they didn't. And we're going to get into so many reasons why. You can blame Tyler Bass if you want. But when your fucking defense is giving up nine point yards per play to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, you have no chance. You have no chance. If you're not going to sack him five times, you have no chance. You have no chance. Patty Mahomes, 217 through the air, two touchdowns, a completion percentage of 73 fucking percent. 73%. He was putting the ball as if he was Pedro Martinez, just throwing it in a glove. Travis Kelsey, five catches for 75 yards. You can say he's back. Maybe he was just saving it all year. He's like, Andy, I'm only going to play when the playoffs are here. I mean, these guys kind of deserve that respect and this right at this point. Hey, we'll turn it on in the playoffs, Andy. Relax. Like, Josh Allen in this one, tough. 26 for 39, but only 106, 186 yards passing. So many throws were behind the line of scrimmage. I looked at his passing chart for that game. He had more completions behind the line of scrimmage than over the line of scrimmage. Or if not 50-50. And the ones that were over the line of scrimmage were no longer than 15 to 10, 10 yards. No, not even. Not even. Three to four, if that. An abysmal season for the Buffalo Bills. Yes, they were really injured in this one. Super injured. But they gave up 99 yards to Pacheco. Take away something. And the head coach was supposed to be a defensive guy. Calling the defense. And Doug McDermott. And granted. Josh Allen too. Pisses me off to a certain extent. All the talent in the world. But one quarterback on the other side. Understands what it takes to win and the alertness and awareness of game time management and score. And Josh Allen is playing the fourth quarter as if it's the first quarter opening drive. What, what is that? I seen that here in Detroit with Matt Stafford. He did lead us to so many comebacks and this and that, but just like the wild card game that he lost to Detroit, he can have all the stats in the world and throw sidearm and this and that and make all the plays. But there comes a certain point on winning where he too kind of loses that aspect of the game. Where Patrick Mahomes on the other side has a completion percentage of 73% and just finding receivers, moving the change. Chains, blah, blah, can't talk, excuse me. Moving the chains and keeping his team in it, keeping his defense off the field, making the simple play. And Josh Allen in this one, man. I don't know what they do, you know. I really don't know what they do, but this is going to bring us into our next segment the coaching carousel in the NFL. And we'll get right into it. A little breather here. Plus Money Pod. So what do you do if you are the Buffalo Bills? I don't believe Sean McDermott can take this team and elevate them to a professional status. And what I, what I mean by that is there's some coaches that take a team and they really polish them up. Stefan Diggs don't bitch. 
Josh Allen doesn't turn it over, this, that, this, that. And, you know, they did have a lot of continuity when Brian DeBall was the offensive coordinator. And I think he's a fantastic coach. A big reason why Josh Allen turned into the superstar that he is today. But without Brian DeBow running the offense, they already recycled one offensive coordinator. But is that really the problem? Because the ball didn't run the defense and give up monster play after play with 13 seconds on the clock versus Kansas City. That was Sean McDermott. And he did have some comments about 9-11 and stuff that didn't blow over well with a lot of people. Bill's players love him. He's a player's coach. They go to bat for him. But at the end of the day, he can't control his stars. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. You know, Josh Allen kind of does what he wants on the field. And Stephon Diggs says whatever the fuck he wants. I think they got to go in a different direction. Bill Belichick might be available. Do you open up that door? Did Robert Kraft really let that happen? They're a ready-made team. Ready-made defense. You got weather elements. You know how to coach in it. I don't know because there's not too many other coaches available at this point. They're all getting snagged up. Maybe they cut them and go get Vrabel. I think that's a pretty good fit with Bill's Mafia. Wouldn't you think that? What about Philly and Nick Sirianni? You know, that team definitely didn't look the same this year. Losing both coordinators was a big deal. Jim Schwartz going to the Browns. And Shane Steichen going to run the, the Colts. And that hurt Jalen Hurts big time. And you've seen it. And I think there's some huge underlining factors why Jason Kelsey retired as well. Trying to tell me that guy still can't snap the ball and play football? Maybe it is hurting and everything, you know, what these guys go through every Sunday and the body really can't take it. But I think that guy could still play. And I think he was looking around the organization. He's like, I don't want to be a part of this shit. You know, we won a Super Bowl. We've been to three, two, three. I'm a winning player. I need a winning culture. And this is a bunch of bullshit. Got complaining receivers and A.J. Brown. You got the head coach that really couldn't write the ship. And ultimately, what does Nick Sirianni do? Doesn't really run the offense. Doesn't really run the defense. What is he, more of like a rah-rah guy? And when shit does go south, that's when the head coach steps in, creates the game plan, makes shit better, etc. And I don't think he really did that this year. They, um, they elected to make... Matt Patricia run the defense. Matt Patricia's defense with Bill Belichick is a whole different thing than when he was at the Lions and what they had to work with the Philly. The defense was atrocious this year. From last year to this year, night and day, flip a coin. Atrocious. I don't know what they do, but obviously he's got to replace the coordinators. You got Vrabel available. What if Vrabel wants to take a back seat? Just call a defense for a year or two. Go win a Super Bowl. Then get another gig. Wait for the right opportunity. Eric Bieniemy. You got Vic Fangio. From the Miami Dolphins. Who got cut by them. I guess he didn't see eye to eye with Mike McDonald. Which is kind of shocking because Vangio is a really good defensive coordinator. That's in- He's a really good defensive coordinator. That's interesting to see where he goes. It looks like the Falcons got their guy. And Raheem Morris, defensive coordinator from the Rams. So Bill Belichick isn't going there after all. He's still out on the market. And it, the rumor is, is nobody wants to give him full control how he did have everything running through him in New England. 
being the GM, being the head coach, having a lot of input on the organization and the team. And I don't know how much power the Falcons were really ready to relinquish to one person to be at the helm of everything. And that's a lot of responsibility at his age, this, that. So Bill is still out there. The Washington Commanders are still an open job, but it's being here in Detroit, rumors are that Ben Johnson, our offensive coordinator, is pretty much already penciling in his name in that office. He'll take over with Sam Howell, Terry McLaurin and company. But where does that leave the enemy? If Johnson might be calling the plays over there. The Raiders locking down Antonio Pierce. He's a player's coach. Players advocated for him. Wasn't really working out to get Harbaugh, apparently. Wasn't working out to get Bill. And they're going to lock down and try to get some continuity over there. I don't mind that move. I'm kind of indifferent about it. Because of the guy that I just mentioned coming into that division already with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Now you got to go through John Harbaugh and Justin Herbert. And I think the biggest thing about the Harbaugh thing is getting Jesse Minter, the defense coordinator from Michigan, to come over here and call the defense for the NFL. And that's going to get his head in the door even more to eventually become a head coach himself. And kudos to John Harbaugh for everything that he did at Michigan and turning around the program, whether you like it or not, the guy is a winner. But it kind of really fucking sucks that they're just leaving. And maybe the NCAA was going to come down hard. There's a lot of things in this that we don't know. And maybe they weren't. And for him to leave now, once we finally won, and we're back, and we're dominating this region as far as recruiting goes, it kind of sucks because it just opens up the door for Ohio State to get their way back in the Big Ten recruiting and everything. But they're leaving over U of M to Moore, who won the two games while John Harbaugh was gone. And... Apparently, he's a fantastic recruiter, if not the best recruiter at Michigan. They're going to transfer over the offense as J.J. McCarthy's leaving as well. So I'm very interested to see how that season. Obviously, I don't expect him to repeat as national champions, but the program in general, I need it to give me life. I need it to sustain life. Uh, I can't have fucking Rich Rod, <laughs> Rich Rod years. Even though I thought we fired Rich Rod a little too early. But that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, lots of coaching changes. Very interested to see where Vrabel goes. And, you know, the Lions here, they're going to be losing possibly Ben Johnson, apparently. You know, Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator. I wouldn't mind replacing him with Belichick or even Vrabel. And what if Bill takes a defensive coordinator job somewhere? Oh, my God, those would be nuts. To have a guy like him on your staff with a mind like him just calling a defense. Doesn't have to worry about everything else. That would be wild. But another thing too about Vrabel, real quick. A lot of times that these guys get in a head coaching position and it fails, they don't get a nod right away. And maybe that's why he hasn't been, you know, assigned anywhere yet and... I haven't really heard too many rumors about him. Let's talk about the NBA real quick. And the defensive, I mean, um, <clears throat> the coaching changes over there. With the Milwaukee Bucks firing first-year head coach Adrian Griffin in a matter of months into the job. Now, it's not all this guy's fault. Because he signed up to coach this team with Drew Holiday. And the GM slash player slash coach. Who's starting to get on my nerves a little bit in Giannis. I love him as a player. Character, work ethic, everything. But lately, between this last season and a half. He's starting to really kind of piss me off. 
drawing up his own plays, checking himself into the game, not checking in with the coach, just walking over to the side score table, checking in. Apparently that happened in the game where he got subbed out and he didn't even go to the bench. He just sat right there again and checked himself back in. Demanding trades to go get superstars. He was the one that got Damian Lillard over to Milwaukee. And I knew it wasn't going to work right off rip. You don't trade a guy like Drew Holiday. You just don't. You don't trade the best perimeter defender in the NBA. And now look, you guys can't stop fucking nothing. The Milwaukee Bucks. They can't stop shit. When they go up against a, a, a superior opponent, an equal opponent, they can't stop. No pick and roll because that's Dame's weakness. Isolate him with the point guard. Isolate him on a big man. Attack him easily all day long. And they're not going to be able to just fix this or correct it, I believe. They might have to go make another trade. But at that point, you're sacrificing depth. And that's how you won a championship, which a lot of people put an asterisk over because there are so many injuries in that playoffs to allow Giannis to kind of navigate through it. I like that Bucks team. I like Giannis, but he's really pissing me off lately. And this coach, did he deserve to get fired? It wasn't really working out. Sure. But before everybody goes pointing fingers in that organization, somebody's got to check the superstar. Somebody's got to check him. Maybe Doc Rivers is the guy too. But theoretically, his coaching sucks. He's not going to take them where they need to go. He's won one NBA championship with three bona fide Hall of... Four bona fide Hall of... Five Hall of Famers, maybe, on that team when he was with the Celtics. And without making another move, I don't think this team can get by the Celtics in the East this year, the 76ers. Shit, maybe the Pacers could even give them a run. And I don't know what it is with the NBA, but it's very hard for me to watch. I can't watch it. Product sucks. This shit sucks. I don't like watching 145 to 140. I just, I don't. I feel like the competitive nature of it is just not there. It's like, all right, let's just fuck around. And then uh, fourth quarter, we're going to see who can go on a 20-0 run. All right, cool. That's the NBA now. Let's play for three quarters, pick up basketball for the most part, and then fourth quarter, if we're down 20, we're going to try to come back. If we're up 20, we're going to try to add another 20 and win 140 to 100. And that's it. There's no defense. There's no pride. Joel Embiid drops 70 points against a lifeless young Spurs team. They had nothing for him. That's Joel. You know, I've seen this guy coming out of Kansas as one of the most dynamic big men that I've seen in a long time. And then he got these foot injuries and this and that. He's very hard to stop. So 70 for him. All right. But then that same evening, Carl Anthony Towns drops 60-something. And the team loses the game. Blows it like a 20-point lead. Like, that shit's unexcusable. You have like a four to five time Defensive player of the year on that team. And Rudy Gobert. How the fuck are you blowing a 24, 25 point lead to the Hornets? And you're so focused on Carl Anthony Towns getting 60 points. I'll fire the coach if I was a GM. I told you earlier, I'm going to be very hard to work for as a GM. NFL, NBA. Hey, come up to my office. I had great performance out there, man. Great performance. You got, you know, our superstar dropped 60-something points. And we ended up fucking losing because you're inept coaching, you jackass. And it just happened again today. Cost me a fucking parlay. The Suns lose 133 to 131. Can't stop shit. Phoenix. Can't stop nobody. I don't care you're on a 10-game winning streak. 
just proves to me in the playoffs, you ain't going to stop shit. You have nobody to check the perimeter. No big man down low to be physical. Devin Booker dropped 60 points. And the team as a total is not in the game. They're not involved. Shooters are cold because one man has been taking all the shots for three quarters. They only dropped 17 points in the fourth quarter, and they lose 133-131 to to the Pacers on a comeback. Tell me how. What the fuck? What the fuck is that? The NBA is so hard to watch for me. Sorry about the rant. And then the playoffs just turn, turn, you know, the playoffs just come in and they just turn up. Defense improves. There's no Bruce Bowen. There's no Ron Artest. There's no Tayshaun Prince. There's no lockdown perimeter defenders in the days that, you know, we were watching basketball when I was growing up, at least. There just isn't. There's Drew Holiday. And um, Marcus Smart, no. Um, OG, maybe. Scotty Barnes, pretty good perimeter defender. That's about it, dude. I don't, off the top of my head right now, without really diving too deep, like, there's just no more perimeter defense like that. It's quite frustrating, to be honest. That's why I like the college game better. It's more exciting. Game of runs. Kids want it more. That's why March Madness is so exciting. Let's talk about the AO a little bit. Australian Open. Wow. What a semifinals. What a semifinals between Yannick Sinner, Novak Djokovic, the pure dominance. You know, this is Novak's first loss in the semifinals of the Australian Open in his career. And I've been watching Yannick Sinner for three years as a young lad, just ripping forehands. I'm like, wow, this kid's going to be amazing. Between him and Carlos, and then last year, Carlos really showed a more of a physical presence. Physically, I think he's more physically uh, fit than Sinner. But now that Sinner's got his fitness down, plus leveling up his game, improving his serve, I think he's surpassing Carlos right in front of us as the best young prospect, if not the best player in the world. And it showed Verse, one of the best competitors in the history of sports, beating Novak Djokovic. And even Novak losing 6-1-6-2 in the first two sets of this semifinals. There was one point there where he wasn't even, he was emotionless. I think he knew there's nothing I can do. I'm not even mad. <laughs> I'm not even mad. I think he was more affectionate of the brilliance of Yannick Sinner right in front of him. I think he loves tennis so much. He was almost smiling and crying at the same time because he was losing. But, man, what a performance by Yannick Sinner. If you're just a purist, a tennis purist, you just had to love seeing that. His serve, electric. The forehand, oh, my God. Just absolutely massive and he's good on clay him and carlos on clay that's probably a bound that's probably a bound final in paris center versus carlos on clay that'll be great to see but first he's got a lot of work to do as he's gonna take on medvedev who beat alexander zverev in a thrilling five-set comeback that ended early over here at Stateside in the morning today. And Zverev was up in this one before Medvedev roared back, winning back-to-back sets by tiebreaker. 
And in that fifth set going into it, it looked like Medvedev was a little bit more gassed. And there was a crucial moment at 2-2 on Zverev's serve where I believe he was down 30 to 15 or he was down 15 to or hold on excuse me I think it, I believe it was 15 to 15 and Zverev lost a point at the net and he did something with his racket to hit the net out of frustration which broke the little camera thing in the center and the judge was forced to give him a point penalty and made it 15 to 40 in Medvedev's favor, which eventually he broke Zverev and didn't look back. Such a huge moment in this AO semifinals. Huge, massive moment in this semis. He ends up breaking that game and Medvedev doesn't break, serves it out the rest of the way. Or actually, I think... Excuse me, I think even Zverev just melted down mentally at a certain point here, and he lost on his serve. But needless to say, Medvedev weathers the storm. There was a point there where he was looking at his press box like, I'm done, I'm gassed. My legs are shot. And ultimately, he is a 2-1 to dog for the most part versus Yannick Sinner. And I think Sinner in this one has a big advantage. He's only dropped one set this whole tournament, and that was to Joker, the third set in the semis. So he's got a huge advantage versus Medvedev's tired legs that played multiple five-setters. And I already think he's just got a huge advantage already just on form. I do like a little parlay Sunday in the AO finals. With Sabalenka on the women's side, who I believe... Also has not dropped a set in this AO. Parlaying that with Yannick Sinner. Don't know what it pays. Didn't even put it in. Don't even want to look. But I'm sure it's going to be at a decent value price. As Yannick Sinner is probably like minus $2 or 240 to win. Parlay that with Saba. Get it closer to even odds. Alright, we're going to take a brief break before we get into it. We're going to preview Lions versus 49ers, Baltimore versus Chiefs. We've got some picks, predictions, breaking these ones down. Plus Money Pod. All right, let's jump straight into it. Baltimore Ravens versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Plus four is the line now. Over 44 and a half with the total. You know, this is the first AFC home championship game in Baltimore since the existence of the AFC and the NFC. That's pretty astonishing, you know what I mean? With all the good teams that this franchise has had and the defenses they've never hosted an AFC championship game I mean well at least for the last 50 years or some shit the city of Baltimore is hype they're almost hype as we are in Detroit their ticket prices are through the fucking roof if you want to go to this game or even the first game And it's going to be an epic game. I'm so geeked. It's almost like a, you know, when you have two fighters in a heavyweight bout that you really like and enjoy watching, your fans of both of them, let's say, and they're facing off and it's just, there's so much tension in the air. And that's what it feels like with Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes going at it. Harbaugh versus Reed. Defense versus defense. Fan base versus fan base. It's electric. These are the two best AFC teams. 
And I believe we do have the two best NFC teams on the other side. These are the four best teams in football. Theoretically speaking, they might be the four best defenses in football too. Minus the Jets. But the Lions, I know you might not think they're up there. But we'll get into their defense a little bit later. Bend but don't break mentality. Patrick Mahomes, everybody knows it now. 9-1-1 ATS as a dog. The defense of Baltimore has been winning them games all season long. When I can name eight guys on one side of the ball that are all pro caliber, if not Hall of Hall of Fame worthy players, those teams tend to win championships, go far, win Super Bowls, get over any hump, dominate. And Baltimore has done that all season long, even against good teams. They've been whooping that ass. Kyle Hamilton, Marlon Humphreys, Ronald Darby, Kyle Van Noy, Jadavion Clowney, Patrick Queen, Medaduki Dookie. I don't know how to say his last name. Melodewiki. All anchored by pretty much the best middle linebacker in the NFL, future Hall of Famer, Rokon Smith. Bam. What a defense. And on the other side of the ball, they're going to be staring at this generation's best quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Looks like Kelsey's back. They're going to have to deal with that. Kyle Hamilton for Baltimore is an exceptional safety. He covers probably the best that I've seen all season. Versus opposing tight ends, slots. He's a really good coverage cornerback or a safety. He comes up to the line. He can come off the edge. He wraps up. He tackles. He makes plays. Super sharp player. I have a feeling he's going to be matched up a lot of times on Kels when he calls for it. And a lot of times on Rice when he's moving around in the slot. But if he is primarily on the slot receiver. Travis Kelsey is going to have some opportunity in this game. The one thing about Patrick Mahomes that separates him and really makes him Patrick Mahomes. Is his awareness and scrambling ability in the pocket to extend plays plus his arm strength to make the pass. Let me repeat that. His ability and awareness in the pocket to scramble and make plays and still have the arm strength and accuracy to complete those throws. 73% completion percentage against Buffalo. He's on a mission. And I'm a little bit torn. My football mind is saying Baltimore could win this game in a blowout. There's a path to that. But how many times have you seen Patrick Mahomes theoretically get dominated in a big game? Once. In the playoffs versus Tampa Bay, where they could not protect. And they sacked him five, six times, moved him off the spot, disrupted the timing. Let me tell you something about that Super Bowl still. He balled in that game. He was still balling. He was. And the Baltimore Ravens have a sick defense. They're going to bring it. They led the NFL in sacks as a team. They forced turnovers. But when you get a guy like Patrick Mahomes that's alert and aware, he's going to scramble around. 
He's going to elude pressure. He's going to get outside the pocket, and he's going to make plays. And I trust that ability right there to cover this number. My handicap in this one is not too crazy. Yes, Baltimore is amazing. But on the other side of the football, Kansas City defense is also amazing. They've been great all year. Probably one of the best secondaries plus pass rush in the league. You're going to have Chris Jones coming in. Trying to shut down Lamar. I'm sure they're going to take a couple things that D'Amico Ryans did last week to slow him. And I like the def- I like their defensive chances in this one. To keep things at bay. Make Lamar beat you from the pocket. But this Baltimore team is a little bit different as the sense is he has more weapons. He's never had a Zay Flowers plus Odell plus Mark Andrews, likely. And his read option freezes defenses and makes Gus Edwards and Justice Hill that much better. And there's a reason why they don't invest in the running back position like that. Because Lamar's read option just makes those guys go. But in this game against Kansas City's defense, who's held teams to 20 points or fewer the last few weeks leading up into the playoffs, they're going to have their hands full too on the other side. It's not going to be just all easy for Lamar. He has games in second halves where he tends to turn the ball over and the offense kind of gets stagnant, and that's a possibility. I like both these defenses to eventually lead this game to the under. I don't think they're just going to be going up and down, up and down, up and down. This is a championship game we're talking about. Winner goes to the Super Bowl. I don't see a blowout on either end. I could see it theoretically coming down to the person who has the ball last. And in a tie game, a field goal gets three points, but this spread is at four. And I'm through the key number of three, and I'm going to take it with Patrick Mahomes. I also like the under in this game, 44 and a half. I think we could be looking at something 24-21. That gets you over. Excuse me. Say a little bit less than that. Oops, made a mistake. 17-20. I mean, the offensive struggles of Kansas City continue against such a great defense, and Baltimore has not went up against such a good defense as KC, kind of canceling each other out there for a low-scoring AFC championship. I do like Travis Kelsey on the yardage for the reasons I said about Kyle Hamilton and where he'll be on the field. And I like Lamar Jackson rushing touchdown. I just don't think he's handing it off. Let's just, I mean, he hasn't already. Two touchdowns last game. I don't think he's handing it off in the red zone. He's going to do what he has to do to get that touchdown. So just a quick recap. We like Kansas City plus the four, under 44 and a half. Travis Kelsey yards and the Lamar Jackson rushing touchdown. Going over my notes here, let's talk about a game where I got a little bit more action on. The Detroit Lions, plus seven and a half, headed over to California to take on Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. Over under of 51 and a half. I think there's a lot of things working for the Lions in this spot. There's a lot of things working for the Lions in this spot. If you can't see that by now, then you haven't been watching. You really haven't been watching. This team plays physical. They tackle, they hit. They have not allowed a 75-yard rusher all season long. Now, the Buccaneers had a little bit more success last week running the ball, but Rasheed White still cashed his under at 55 and a half. 
They were able to move the ball seldomly, maybe a couple times, some big runs, but theoretically they were down 14 the whole time, and Baker had to throw for 300 yards. They just couldn't hang with the Lions. And player for player, matchup for matchup, when you really dive into it, seven and a half is a little bit of disrespect towards Detroit. The number two pro football focused offensive line in the NFL. Plus two dynamic running backs in David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. That's a recipe for success. You can run the ball on San Fran. Control the clock, keep your defense off the field, keep their offense on the sideline, and put up points. They give up yards. They're a lot like the Lions in the way that they give up a lot of yards, but they don't break in the red zone. A very good red zone defense. So that's where they're going to have to get their, you know, the Lions are going to have to get some some space and, and, and pound it in with the rushing attack of Montgomery. I like the over in this one as well. 51 and a half. I just see points. A lot of the Lions games have been high scoring, especially in the playoffs. This game's going to be won and lost in the trenches. Penny Sewell versus Joey Bosa. Or Nick Bosa. Is going to be an electric matchup. We're talking about probably the best right tackle in the NFL right now, Penny Swell. And he plays the game with such a tenacity, such a winning mentality. I'm so interested to see if he doesn't allow one pressure. And I think it's possible that he really does shut down that side of the line. Doesn't allow any pressures on Goff. Really sticks Bosa where he's got to be. On top of that, we got Frank Ragnow at the center position. Moving the pile, creating space inside for rushing lanes. I'm telling you folks, this is the number two pro football focus offensive line in the league. And that is a pivotal matchup in this. In this. Penny Sewell versus Bosa. And on the opposite side, the Lions have a Super advantageous matchup with Aiden Hutchinson versus Makovitz, their tackle, who's given up the most pressures in the NFL at that position. He's given up the sixth most sacks at that position. Now, this is the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers, excuse me. They got a lot of things working for them here. They didn't get here by luck. Third NFC Championship game in a row. And Debo's looking like he's going to suit up for this one. Which is a big deal. Because they're 1-4 straight up when Debo Samuel does not play. And whether he's fully healthy in this or not, he's out there on the field. So you have to pay attention to him. He could just be a decoy. But the Niners really don't have a player that can fill his position. So if he does get knocked out of this game, it's going to change the dynamic of the game, 100%. It seems like in the regular season, they didn't really go to him in the running game as needed. But in the playoffs, even last year, they kind of unleashed him. So you already know Shanahan's going to be looking into all this. How can we get Debo involved? Or is he a decoy? You're going to find out real quick. But one thing about this is it just opens up the door for George Kittle. The Lions have a hard time stopping tight ends. They gave up a ton of yards last week to Otten. Prior to that, they gave up um, a lot of yards just through the passing in general. But in games that Debo doesn't play. George Kittle goes bananas. His target share goes up drastically. He gets a ton of yards, eight, seven catches type shit. And the Lions gave up plus 50 yards to every tight end in the last five weeks for the most part. 
So Kittle's going to be a big part of the Niners' passing attack. It's supposed to be good weather, clear skies. But I think another big thing in this one is the Lions have not given up 75 yards to any running back all year. Granted, they're going up against Trent Williams and company in a really good O-line. and eh, not really good, but decent O-line with the best running back that I've seen in a, in, a, in a minute in Christian McCaffrey. It was very hard to stop. But I like this Lions team to hold him. His rushing total is set at like 88. And no running back has came close to that. Who has a better quarterback? That's another thing. Sometimes handicapping in the NFL just comes down to who has the better quarterback. Who has the better head coach. Are you sure Shanahan is a better coach than Dan Campbell? Because I'm looking at a stat right here that Dan Campbell's 13-4 and four ATS when he's getting four or more points on the spread. And you're not just coaching against Dan Campbell. You're coaching against Ben Johnson, too. Who's the hottest coordinator in the NFL. You're not just going to shut down this Lions offense. I'm sorry. You're not. There's just too many weapons. Plus the O-line. You got Gibbs, Montgomery, Amon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, who's been a great number two receiver, Sam Laporta. You want to press? They throw a bomb over the head to JMO. You want to stuff the run? You can play action over the middle. You're bringing in guys to stop the power run? Bring in Gibbs. Here comes the speed. I think they match up. Can they win on the money line? Sure. Plus seven, absolute disrespect in my opinion. And what type of Brock Purdy are you going to get? He hasn't played in too many monster games, monster big games. And the ones that he's played in big, big games, he hasn't done that well. Last week, I'm telling you, Green Bay kind of blew that game. And if the Lions play an absolute A game, running the football, controlling the clock, no turnovers, Hutchinson winning that battle, putting some pressures on Purdy, there's a path to them winning and covering this number. I like that. I like the over. Um... I like George Kittle, anytime touchdown, plus 100. I like David Montgomery, plus 130. Last week he was vultured by Craig Reynolds in a power situation at the goal line. Um, he scored a lot of touchdowns for the Lions this year, at plus 130. I like that. It holds a little bit of value for me all year. It's kind of been around like 115, 120. I like Sam Laporta, anytime touchdown, plus 150. Um I just think he's a really dynamic player in this one. If you're going to have a lot of attention on Gibbs with Fred Warner and company, um, you're going to create matchups with safeties and linebackers with Sam Laporta. George Kittle's um, receiving total over 60 yards, and I also like Laporta's reception total yardage. Oh, excuse me. Yardage-wise as well, 47.5. That's it, folks. That's all I got. A little bit, quick recap on these plays. Yeah, Kansas City Chiefs plus four. We like the under at 44.5 as well. Like Travis Kelsey's receiving yards, and we like Lamar rushing touchdown. We like the Lions plus seven and a half and over 51 and a half. We like George Kittle, David Montgomery, Sam Laporta, all anytime touchdown scores. And we like both tight ends over the receptions yardage and George Kittle and Sam Laporta. Kittle's at 60, Laporta's at 47 and a half. That's it, folks.
that's it. Hopefully, uh, we can uh, get to Vegas for the Super Bowl. Go Lions, baby. Woo. This is the Plus Money Pod. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. Feel free to leave me a review. Subscribe, like, retweet. Um, Yeah. We'll try to recap all this shit come upcoming week. Enjoy the games. Ciao. Thank you.